You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Because he is our living hope, we need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12 begins a a new section, the last section in uh, Paul's letter. Uh, We have uh, studied, uh, kind of seen the the gospel in several different ways. Chapters 1 through 3, we talked about the heart of the gospel, which is justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, Chapters 4 through 8, we looked at the assurance of the gospel, that just as certainly as we have been justified we will be glorified that is our hope our certain hope that is in Christ chapters 9 through 11 we looked at the defense of the gospel where Paul is trying to address a matter there and uh, um, where the folks in, in, are asking the question if the gospel is the power of God for salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile why aren't the Jews uh, believing coming to faith in Christ. And so Paul answers that question. He shares about that mystery um, that, uh, that in the end, God's going to save a great multitude to, of him, to himself, of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, we can rejoice in that. Now we come to the final section, chapters 12 through 16. And this is about the transforming power of the gospel and uh, the changes that should mark our lives Uh, as a community that's been changed, that's been saved, been transformed. And so that is uh, his theme in these chapters. We're going to look at just two verses today. They are familiar to you, I hope. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord, we, we pause once again and ask, Lord, that you would please by your spirit, Lord, give us ears to hear and, and minds that are... Uh, enabled to understand, empowered to understand uh, what Paul is saying, what you are saying through Paul here. And so, Lord, help us. We pray that uh, you would use, um, I I pray that you would use me as your servant, Lord. I pray that that you would increase and I would decrease and, and as always, that your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. For those of you who have been Christians for a while, I'm sure that there are times that you can look back in your life, uh, seasons maybe, and you remember certain Bible verses that were very impactful on you. And uh, we could probably go around the room and share all kinds of testimonies of of, of that, scriptures that have uh, become kind of life verses for some of you, and and just others that you, you look back and you remember how shaping they were uh, in your uh, particular life and that place that you were at in, in life. When I was 15 years old, I, I was uh, searching for God's will for my life. 
I was asking uh, just some questions. What did he want me to do uh, with my life? And uh, at youth camp that particular summer, I, I shared my uh, burden with a, a pastor who was there as a counselor. And uh, he wisely pointed me toward this passage, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. Uh, I was thinking about the vocation uh, that God wanted for me and, and maybe the location uh, of where he might lead me, but that pastor counseled me, and I think wisely, that, that those answers would likely come in due time, that my focus needed to be what is the subject of Romans 12, which is to present my body, my life, as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is my spiritual worship, to not be conformed by the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And then he says, by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Those were life-changing words for me. Uh, they were impactful to me, and they began to chart a course for my life. Um, the, the following January, I surrendered my life to God uh, for Christian ministry. And then uh, by March of that year, which is 32 years ago uh, this month, I preached my very first sermon, and I preached from this text, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I still have the notes. There may be a video, but you'll never see it because it's... It, it, it. I, don't, I didn't understand much about Romans when I preached that first message 32 years ago. I'm quite confident I didn't, I didn't have... I hadn't, I hadn't studied any languages, any Greek or anything like that. I'm quite sure I didn't have much grasp of what kind of theology or... or uh, uh, definitions and so forth, but these words were life-transforming for me, and they still are. They still are, and I think it's because they explain so clearly the expectation and commitment that God expects from us as believers in Christ, all of us, there's no mincing of words. There's, no, there's not a lot of difficulty here. And this verse is not just for preachers or missionaries. It is a, a call to commitment to the church, to the whole church, to all of us who are professing to know Jesus Christ. And its language is so vivid and visual that, that it's, it's hard to miss what he is uh, asking of us, what he's telling us uh, to do. I want us to think about it, though. I want us to begin first with the basis of the commitment, the basis of the commitment. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The word appeal is a, a mixture of uh, entreaty, if you will, but also authority. Uh, Paul, with the authority of an apostle, uh, is urging us towards this commitment to God. He then indicates the people to whom he is addressing this appeal. He calls them brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. We can hardly doubt that this uh, was not an intentional uh, addition, uh, intention of Paul in these verses, because through his letters so far, he has been conscious of the tensions that were in the church at Rome between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's been addressing that tension in chapters 9 through 11, but, but here it's as, if, it's as if that olive tree that he talked about 
Uh, remember, with the natural branches and the ones grafted in, it's like all of that's faded behind the scene. And now Paul says to Jews and Gentiles, brothers, he says, all believers in Christ are brothers and sisters. No matter your uh, ethnicity or nationality or any of those things. And it's as if Paul is encouraging them to, to set aside those tensions and to come together around Christ and his gospel as the family of God. And notice how he puts it. Notice the word, therefore, and the phrase, by the mercies of God. Here is the basis of their fellowship. He, here is what brings them together. Here's the basis for Paul's appeal to them to commit to Christ. For 11 chapters, Paul has been uh, unfolding the mercies of God to us. The gospel is the good news of the mercy to, of God to undeserving sinners, whom, and we've been singing about it this morning, whom God gave His only Son to die for us, that He might justify us freely when we come to Him in faith. He makes us His children, brings us into His family, the family of God. That mercy was highlighted particularly in chapters 9 through 11. Let me just share a few verses of reminder. Chapter 9, verse 16, speaking of uh, our salvation, Paul wrote, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, he says. And then God's purpose in this salvation, down in verse 23 of chapter 9, His purpose in this salvation was in order to make known the riches of His glory. Notice what He calls us, for vessels of mercy, which He's prepared beforehand for glory. Chapter 11, verse 30 uh, we Gentiles, he says, there were at one time disobedient to God, but now we have received mercy. And the Jews, he writes, verse 31 of chapter 11, they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they, the Jews, also may now receive mercy. And it is this mystery of mercy, if you will, this massive theology, not just in 9, 10, and 11, but, but through 1 through 11, that has led Paul to burst out in this glorious doxology at the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be glory forever. Amen. And now we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul calls for a response, for a response to this. In view of his mercies, he says in verse 1, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to respond. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment and reflect on this pattern that Paul is setting for us. And it's one we've talked about before, and it's one that we see in the New Testament. Paul begins with doctrine or teaching in chapters 1 through 11, which leads him to doxology at the end of chapter 11, or worship, where we, the passage we just read. And then it calls for response, chapters 12 through 16, for application, if you will. 
And it's a very discernible pattern. And you find it not just here in Romans, but you find it in others of Paul's letters. For example, in Ephesians, there's the exact same pattern. Chapters 1 and 2, and and even 3, there's this teaching that he lays forth doctrine. And then there's doxology at the end of chapter 3. And then chapters 4 through 6, there is practical application. This is one of the distinctives that you should be listening for when it comes to sound preaching. Uh, Much of preaching today begins with application and then seeks to add a few Bible verses to support what is being said. And in my estimation, that is why we have such shallow and wishy-washy Christians and churches today. When you skip the doctrine... Or when you speed through the doctrine, or when you water down the doctrine and you rush to application, you end up with a Christianity that is based on morals rather than the life-changing mercy of God. People are not ultimately transformed by morals. They are transformed by mercy. Isn't that true in your life, church? You've been transformed, not because somebody told you to do certain things. You've been transformed because of the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The greater that we comprehend and understand the gospel then, the greater our commitment will be. It's why folks of old like uh, Robert, uh, McShane, uh, Robert Murray McShane used to say that for every glance that you take at yourself... You need to take 100 glances at the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Why? Because we'll never understand or be able to live a life pleasing to God if we are not reveling and if we are not coming back to over and over again deeply what he has done for us. And so here we are. We've been studying Romans for a year and a half. I haven't counted, but close maybe to 60 sermons And yet, think about for a moment in that, how few sermons or how few commands that Paul has given us thus far in chapters 1 through 11. I think there's only less than a handful, maybe three times in verses 1 through 11 where he has told us to do something. It's just been teaching. It's been explanation, if you will. He's been methodically and systematically laying out for us, this is what God has done for 11 chapters He's been doing this. And some might say, well, this is, why, what a waste. Why couldn't we have just skipped 1 through 11 and just started at chapter 12? Because this is where, this is the good stuff. This is the application. This is the life application. The reason is, is because Paul has been building this foundation. And I tell you, it better be a strong foundation. It better be a deep foundation for the appeal that he's about to make to us as believers. It better be something that is able to handle what he's about to ask. The appeal that he's going to make. He's not asking here in Romans 12 for a favor. He is not stating... Uh, an option he's not saying this is for super Christians and so everybody else can tune out this is to the church the whole church 
And and he's calling us to think deeply about what Christ has done for us, these mercies of God that that have been shown to us, and then to ask ourselves, what should the proper response to be? And in some ways, if you think, man, these these have been really hard. Chapters 9, 10, 11 have been so hard. Wait until you hear the expectation of what he's desiring from you. It brings us to the nature of the commitment. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. The language there is is quite life-shaking, isn't it? Think of how he describes what our response should be. Let's just walk through some of the words. This isn't rocket science. All of these words on your outline there just to, to, to help keep you engaged and following along, but Uh, Notice the first word, notice the word present, present, or some of your translations may have offer, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a very technical word um, that's used for a priest who is offering a sacrifice, presenting a, a sacrifice. Paul has used this word already a few times, um, one in particular Uh, Chapter 6, back to verse 13, you remember uh, this was, I think, one of the commandments that he gave us. He said, do not present your members, the word present, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The point he was making there is is that now that you've been united with Christ in salvation and you've died to the power of sin, you're no longer slaves to sin. He covered all of those different things. You are now free and, in fact, obligated to offer yourselves to God. We should present, he said. We should offer ourselves, our members to God as instruments of righteousness, that he would use our lives to produce his righteousness. Now here is the same language in Romans 12, but maybe even more clearly clear. He says we should present our bodies. That's the second word I want you to notice. Our bodies as living sacrifices. It's quite interesting. It's distinct in what he's saying. God, we sometimes confuse this. God is not asking you uh, to offer your time for him. He's not asking you to offer your treasure to him or part of your possessions. He's not asking for part of you. He is actually calling you and me to present our ourselves. You might say, well, you know, I did. I gave my heart to the Lord so long. But the commitment God is calling for is not just your heart. He's, he's asking for your heart. He's asking for your mind. He's asking for your body. And it's interesting he uses that body, doesn't it? Offer your bodies, he says. This is not some kind of a spiritual jargon in which we can sit around and talk about now we've given our hearts to the Lord while at the same time our hands and our feet are running after sin. 
No, God is calling us to offer ourselves, our whole selves, our heart, our mind, our body, that which is internal, that which is external. In other words, He's calling for total commitment of your life. Total. The sacrifice refers to an offering that is totally consumed. Totally consumed, like when a priest is presenting that animal as a burnt offering. Total consumption, total offering. All of you. Except here, Paul calls us to offer ourselves, third, as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. (laughs) Someone quipped. The problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. They won't stay put. And there's probably another sermon in that. But what is meant here by living is that this is a constant, continual, lifelong, ongoing offering of ourselves to God. We may start um, our Christian life by offering ourselves when we first become Christians, but remember, Paul's writing to believers here. He's already told us that, brothers. And he reminds us that this is a call to lifelong total sacrifice to God. A disciple keeps presenting himself or herself to God as long as they live. We have to keep coming back to this. I remember when I was wrestling with this as a teenager, I was thinking to myself uh, privately, perhaps, you know, if I offer myself like this, what if God calls me to go to Africa or something? You ever have that thought? I might be the only one, I don't know. But I think that if he does do that, he might, by the way. But I think if he does do that, he's certainly going to prepare you for that your journey, your gradual journey of growing in Him, more than likely, He may just call you to go across the street, right, or to walk across the room, to be faithful. And remember, and I would just encourage you, don't let that kind of foolish fear keep you from surrendering your life to God. This is the one that has shown you these great mercies. Amen? He loves you. Notice several other words Paul uses. He uses the word holy to describe this sacrifice. Holy means set apart for the Lord's use. It means that our presenting ourselves to God involves a commitment to leave our sins behind. Whatever you think this might look like, it is a call to holiness. And Paul's already said that, right? Romans 6 again, do not present your members to sin. This is presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness for God. This is, this is not a, a call to commitment. This is not a Christianity where you get to define your own truth or your own morality. No, he, he's already told us that. God has defined holiness and righteousness in His Word. And He's calling us to a lifetime of forsaking and renouncing our sins and pursuing His holiness. As defined by his word. This is, he says, 
what is acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. This is, this is living your life in such a way as to where you are no longer living to please yourself. Or you're no longer living to please other people. Your, your mind is shifted. Your heart is shifted. Your direction has shifted. You are living to please God. In light of the mercies of God, our main objective now, he says, is to be acceptable to God, being uh, pleasing to Him and what the things that matter most, the things that, that drive, what, what our decisions are, our behaviors are. We're seeking to please Him. And notice he says this offering of our bodies is, uh, as living sacrifices is, he calls it their spiritual worship. Spiritual worship, which it, 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 really means, it really means reasonable or logical. Some of your translations may have reasonable. I, I like that. This is the logical response, Paul is arguing. Given everything that he said, this is what's logical. Paul is not calling us here to make sacrifices. Again, he's calling us to be sacrifices. This is the heart of someone in light of these mercies is saying, take my life, God, and, and let it be consecrated to thee, given over to you. It's yielding your life to Christ. You thinking about all of your activities and your decisions and your relationships and your words and your attitudes and your life. This is yielding them all, all of this, all parts of you, everything to Jesus Christ. This is going through life and, and reassessing and asking, am I pleasing to him? Is this decision pleasing to him? Is my behavior holy before him? This is... This is gospel logic, he's saying. This is logical, reminding yourself of all that Christ has done for you, all of this mercy, and then that you, the only logical response is to give ourselves to him without reservation. Yieldedness. And you can see then how this is so transforming. Transformed is the word verse 2 use, uses. I think this verse 2 is saying essentially the same thing as verse 1, perhaps with just a little more emphasis on the how. How do you present yourself as a living sacrifice? Here's what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here is how uh, J.B. Phillips, this is a paraphrase of that verse, but he says like this, I, I like it. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but rather let God remold your mind from within. You see what's being pictured here, and it's very clear. God's Word is very clear and distinct. There are only two ways. There is the way of the world, and there's the will of God, right? Stott writes this, these two value systems are incompatible, even in direct collision with one another, whether we are thinking about the purpose of life or the meaning of life, about how to measure greatness or how to respond to evil or about ambition, sex, honesty, money, community, religion, or anything else. These two st sets of standards diverge so completely that there's no possibility of compromise. 
Don't conform to the world. The world is passing away, we have been told. And there is the will of God, which Paul says is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is where being a living, what being a living sacrifice means. It means not allowing yourself to be formed by the values of the world. It means resisting that. It means being discerning enough to say, this is not what the Word of God says. It means not living for the visible, for the things that you can see. Because this world and all that is in it is passing away. It means looking for and living for what is invisible. It means to be transformed, he says. This is a very interesting uh, word, by the way. Because Paul is essentially telling us to do something there that is in the passive tense. Be transformed. He's not saying be a transformer. That, that's not what he means at all. He, he, he says be transformed. It's an imperative. It's a command. But it's in the, passing, uh, the passive tense. He's telling us to do something that can only be done to, to us. To be transformed. And once again, this is how Christianity works. This is, the, the word there is, is, is uh, something like metamorpho in, in the Greek, which you can hear the word metamorphosis transformation, change. It's the very word that was used to describe Jesus when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured, transformed before the disciples. His very appearance changed before them, his whole body radiating the glory of God. And now Paul is using this to talk about the change in us as believers. He means here certainly a fundamental transformation of character, doesn't he? Of conduct, away from worldliness and, and into the image of Jesus Christ. When your life becomes, uh, becomes upside down because of this incredible mercy that has been shown to you. It, it's these doctrines of chapters 1 through 11 that, that they're, they're getting under your skin in a good way. They're getting into your heart and your life. And they're changing your very attitudes. They're changing your very perspective. They're changing your very life. They're changing changing you right down to the core of who you are. It's changing you from the sinner that you were into a follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, into His likeness. How does the transformation come about? Well, Paul tells us there, it's by the renewal of the mind. Now, he doesn't elaborate on that, but... We know from other places when he's talking about this renewal of the mind that he's speaking there of a combination of, of God's word and his spirit in our lives. How are we renewed in, in the mind? That is that God himself transforms us through the truth of his scripture, the truth of his word. The more that we immerse ourselves in the word and submit ourselves to the word in obedience, we're transformed by that word. This is what Jesus prayed, John 17, this high priestly prayer. He said, sanctify them, change them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth, he prayed. Make them holy, transform. It's amazing to think about. When we gather to worship on Sundays like this, um, we, we are gathering. It's just like we are coming before the great physician of our souls, and he is the great physician of our souls. Amen. 
And, and we're coming to this worship center, but in some ways, it's also like a surgery center, isn't it? Because he's coming. The Word of God, it, it cuts, remember? It cuts like a, that two-edged sword uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about. And when God, through his Word, he's doing surgery on us. Every single week, he's cutting us open. He's reconstructing our lives as we place ourselves under his Word. He's transforming us. Not just in this room, but in our Sunday school classes and small groups, and personal Bible study as well. This is what it means to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And here's what he does. He transforms. Notice briefly the result of the commitment. Verse 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As the truth is poured into us, it renews our minds, and, and ultimately, it, it transforms our lives. And I like this. I think it's Ferguson who said this. The transformation is not just mental, but it, it is moral. We didn't start with morals, but, but it certainly, if, his transformation in our life should affect our morals. Amen, church? Right? It affects how we live. It, it actually goes even deeper than that, though. Not just our behavior. It goes right down to our heart, to our affections and, and desires. Well, that, that's a difficult word, Paul says. It's actually one word in the Greek when he talks about testing that you may discern. One compound word. But, but, but I think it's, it's driving at this fact that, that as God transform us, transforms us, that we begin to have a sensitivity to the will of God in our lives. We're able to discern and, and approve it, to love His Word. It, it leads to loving His will, to where our very affections, our very desires are changing. We, we don't want to do certain things anymore. We love the Lord. We love His Word, and we want to move away from ourselves, away from our sins to what is good and acceptable and perfect according to His Word. Well, those words were just what I needed as a 15-year-old boy. And they are still what I need today. To offer myself as a living sacrifice, not conforming, but being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And this is God's will for our lives and all who follow him. So there it is. There's the basis of the commitment, which is the mercies of God, his love for us. There's the character of it, which is to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And, and then there's the result. To be transformed is to know and experience the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Now, now once you understand these these things that Paul has been saying in Romans 1 through 11, and let's be honest, that's a lifetime of studying and learning and continuing to immerse ourselves in that. But what he's driving at is that as you understand these things, what God has done for you, that this is the only logical response. This is the only, no one who has truly heard this gospel, who has received God's mercy in Christ, can do anything else but fall at the feet of God and say, here's my life. Here's my life. 
I surrender it to you. And the question to ask today, perhaps, is to reflect on where you are as a Christian. Are you living a life that is holy and acceptable to God? Is this the change of heart that's been desire that that you desire it is easy as living sacrifices to crawl off the altar isn't it and and we do that uh, because when we forget about what he's done for us and when we begin to think that this is about me and so today the call of this text is to present ourselves once again as living sacrifices And by the way, that's the same call tomorrow (laughs) and Tuesday and every day as we follow our Lord. Now, for those of you who have not put your faith in Christ, will you consider what He has done for you? I just remind you of these words that we looked at, seems like such a long time ago, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Hear them, especially if you... Do not know the Lord. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the call of the word for you, those of you who are, have not trusted Christ, is to repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise of the scripture is that you will be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. And um, I pray that the gravity of these things that are, are, are beyond even anything that I can explain Lord but help us now by your spirit to hear and receive and to offer ourselves as living sacrifices for you and we pray for those today that do not know you as their Lord and Savior that as your word says today might be the day of salvation Uh, that as we sing as they have listened to these words and heard the call of your spirit, that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I pray that they would do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.